0: Do you know what this is? It's stimulating, mind-expanding, the in-thing. It's the hula-hoop of the jet generation.
1: PodcastOne.com presents celebs, pop culture, fashion.
0: No one gets to tell me not
1: to curse. Oh, and some of that, too. This is Brandy Glanville, unfiltered. Now, here's Brandy Glanville.
0: You are listening to Brandy Glanville Unfiltered. I'm sitting here with Dr. David Schechter, and some people call him Dr. Dave. He is the author of two books, but the one we're talking about today is Think Away Your Pain. Your brain is a solution to your pain. Hello, Dr. Schechter. Good morning. Good morning. So can I call you Dave? Is that okay? Or Dr. Sure. Dave. Dr. Dave. You can
1: call me anything you want. <laughs>
0: well, don't say that. You don't know me. I might no. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's funny because the reason I know about your book is my book agent is one of my best friends and he's one of your patients and I was at Michael's apartment and your book was on the table and so I sat down and I was skimming through it. I'm like, this is really interesting and what else interested me was the fact that you want Michael to change his ways. Tell us tell us what your theories are and what, what think of what your pain actually is.
1: Okay. So- A person can accomplish a tremendous amount if they start thinking differently about the problem. People can get stuck in a certain way of looking at how they feel. And so what I do with people with chronic pain is I, first of all, make sure there's not a structural explanation for it. And by that, I mean a broken bone, a tumor, uh, a massive herniated disc, et cetera. And most of the people who I see for chronic pain have already had that type of testing done with MRI scans, et cetera, but they don't have and understanding of what's wrong with them and the pain continues and sometimes it goes on for years and sometimes it totally affects their life, makes them miserable, etc. What I'm able to do is to listen to them. I'm able to ask them a different set of questions that involves their personal life, their background, their childhood, their personality and as a result of that, I'm able to make a different kind of diagnosis which we call TMS or Tension Neural Syndrome and basically I'm able to teach them How they can use the power of their brain and their nervous system to overcome this chronic pain.
0: Right. So you're you're not the doctor that you walk in and you're you're giving you know a script for hydrocodone and say go deal with it. Which I think a lot of people do. They either they want a quick fix, and if they can't figure out what's wrong, they give you a prescription and send you on your way. And that scares me because I'm allergic to to pain medicine. So I've had um I in the past I have interstitial cystitis. And there were a few years of my life where I, I couldn't get through my days. I, I thought there's no point to live this. I was agitated all the time, in pain, grumpy. I mean, luckily, it was before I was diagnosed. So it was just like somebody said, I thought I had a bladder infection. They said, there's no bacteria. You're, you know, it's in your head. I'm like, oh my God, this is not in my head. So what would you say to someone coming to, I mean, you definitely, you rule out 100% that there is any actual physical problem.
1: Brandy, it's important to make that distinction because as a sports medicine doctor, which is one of my specialties, I deal with people who've broken a bone or who have a bad ankle sprain. I'm also a general medicine, family medicine doctor, and I see people with kidney stones. People with acute pain need a different treatment. They may need Vicodin for a day or two. They certainly may need a cast. They may need surgery. People with acute pain have one type of condition. But what we call chronic pain means that the pain has persisted for at least three to six months. And what's going on as it persists, again, assuming there isn't a cause that's easily treatable, is that it gets imprinted into the nervous system. And that's where people get stuck in chronic pain. And my job— It's and like one, a one habit. Of my, it, it becomes it, like a habit. It becomes like a learned skill. Right. And my job and one of my passions is to help people get unstuck— from this chronic pain that otherwise uh, befuddles them and, and, uh, and, and, and they struggle with So, so there's
0: a ton of psychology and, and undoing what we've already done in our heads. I mean, a lot of, like my sister, I was telling you earlier, she has not walked for two years mm-hmm. almost. She's on crutches. She's been to every doctor under the sun in Northern California. And they all have pretty much said it's in your head. And it breaks my heart because she's so. She was a runner. She's very active. She's only forty three. Mm. She's very young, and she's depressed at this point. And she thinks, you know, and honestly, if there was a time where I'm like, I, I think you just want attention. I think you're fine. And now she thinks that you know, she has not, There's no doctor that can fix her, and this is real. And she has nothing to live for.
1: Well, desperation can sometimes be a good stimulus to change. You sometimes have to bottom out to a certain degree, in different types of conditions, Uh, alcoholism, uh, with regard to heart attacks, men are more willing to make change after they've had a heart attack than when they're told in the office that they might be at risk for one. So sometimes you have to bottom out in order to be willing to be open. Openness is an important part of my program, because if a person is not open to this program, I find that it doesn't work. Absolutely. So it's a cooperative program. It's something that the doctor is the teacher and the guide but in this particular program, it's not something that I fix with a shot or a pill.
0: Right. And it takes time, I would guess. How, how long did, would something like this take to undo what we've done in our heads?
1: It varies from person to person. I've seen dramatic transformations in the course of weeks. On the other hand, there are people who've had pain for five or ten years. It may take many months of work to get better. And we can discuss in a few minutes what that work involves.
0: Yes. So I, when I think of chronic pain, did you see the movie Cake with Jennifer Aniston? It's it was out this this past year. It was about a woman who had chronic pain from a car accident, and in that in that car accident, her son actually passed away, and she was like going over you know to Taiwan or where in Taiwan, <laughs> where's where, that place in Mexico that everyone goes?
1: Tijuana, Tijuana,
0: Taiwan, because that's not in Mexico. Um, yeah, and getting pain meds and you know illegally, and just she was just miserable, and you could see it in her face. But in my head, I was thinking a lot of it's probably like just being traumatized of losing your son. And I, I I just, I personally, I, now don't take this the wrong way. I went to a hypnotherapist that was supposed to help me with, you know, I had a self mutilization problem, if that's the word I would self-mutilate because for no reason, really, when I had too much time on my hands or I would overthink things, I would do something to hurt myself. And I went for almost a year and I, I still do it. And I mean, I, I, I don't, know that I could be untaught my behavior. Now, how, how do you go about doing that?
1: Well, there's different approaches to different problems. Um, some people need to focus on distraction. Distraction is shifting your attention from the thing that you're drawn to be at the pain or be at the urge to, uh, self mutilate. And to, and to shift your brain toward other things, toward your career, toward your family, toward right. your business, toward a vacation you have planned, toward a hobby that you enjoy. So it's about keeping the mind active but in a different way. Right. Shifting attention can be helpful. There are people with severe anxiety or severe OCD-type behaviors who might benefit from a short course of a prescription medication while we're doing the rest of the holistic program. But it's not about just – pills. Right. It's about exploring a person's entire personality, background, and existence rather than just focusing on the bones and joints or the area that hurts. And that's one of the faults of traditional medicine or conventional medicine and alternative medicine is it tends to be a limited focus toward the problem itself or the biochemistry or the, or the bones or the joints and not enough of looking at the person as a whole.
0: Now, what kind of medicine did you study, and what got you interested in this?
1: I started out at medical school at NYU, New York University, and I was having knee pain. And the pain was limiting my ability to run and play basketball, which were my my big outlets of stress for medical school. Step by step by step, I ended up not getting better over the course of months, getting more frustrated, and met a doctor named John Sarno, who told me about this mind-body approach that he was developing at that time. This was quite a while ago. And I went to his seminar, and I really grasped what he was trying to say to his patients, which is one of the educational methods that he used. And my pain very rapidly went away as I understood this. I felt it, I found it a very powerful tool. So the following summer, I did a research study under his uh, auspices, called up 175 of his patients, and kept hearing over and over again these kinds of miraculous cures of people going to seminars and listening to him, what he had to say, etc. This was before he wrote any books, and I was amazed. So I decided I wanted to incorporate this in my practice, but the doctors that I met other than Dr. Sarno at NYU were not very open to it. Some right. of them scoffed at it. Some of them said, well, he's just kind of uh, – a He's got the right or kind of patients of it for it. they it as
0: like alternative medicine, which you know, a lot of doctors don't believe in. They
1: couldn't get their intellectual, scientific brain around it, although we right. have found out over the last 25 years, and, and this is what I describe in my book, is that there's scientific evidence for this mind-body stuff. It's not just guru stuff. It's right. not just Swami stuff. It, there's really a scientific basis for this, which I think is important for people to understand. So I finished medical school. I went on to family medicine. I did additional training in sports medicine, And I have a credential in pain management. I've taught at USC School of Medicine. I've published papers. But my passion is really seeing people in the office and trying to help them.
0: Right. Now, I mean, I guess when you think about when people say mind over matter, it really is true. I mean, if you open your mind to this, that's when it can help you.
1: It's a simplistic phrase, mind over matter, but it carries with it a lot of power. What it says is that if somebody believes something, they can work their way out of a physical condition chronic pain. We also see examples of this in, in the broader world of people who started from very poor backgrounds, et cetera, but had a vision, had a dream of what they could do and work their way up to become successful or famous or uh, invent a, 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 uh, make an invention or cure right. a disease. So again, what you believe both about yourself and about your potential, your possibility is extremely important. I see a lot of people who have lost hope. Right, And we're able to put hope back in because we're able to explain to them how the problem they thought was unconquerable actually has a solution. You know,
0: I always tell, I, I do this myself, um, I, I I will not put energy into negative things because the more I think about them, the, the bigger they become and the more they take over my life. So I sit for usually in the morning and I kind of think about what I want to happen in my days and it happens. But when I'm in a downward spiral and I can go there, I get a little depressed on occasion. I'm on an antidepressant and my kids go to their dads or whatever. If I think about put energy into something negative at all, it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So I really believe in this. I believe that you put it out there in the world, what you want to happen and what you want with your body and how you want to feel and look, and it happens. But I, But I... Again, I'm not suffering from chronic pain, so that's a little different, but I'm really big into visualization.
1: Well, the way this goes beyond just the power of positive thinking is that although we do believe in switching your attention and focusing on some more positive things, if possible, we also have a system by which people can process some of the tension and stress in their life. Uh, One of the techniques we use is journaling. I really believe that in addition to meditating or thinking positively or et cetera, That writing about some of those negative feelings on a piece of paper, in a notebook, for 15 minutes a day can be a very effective way to release that tension and stress. get it out. For some people, they need to rip up the paper after they're done. Other people keep the paper, keep the journal, keep the workbook, and refer back to it and understand more about themselves over time. So that's a good way to release tension and stress, not to dwell on it all day, but also not to ignore it. Because the negativity is also part of our life, part of who we are, and we have to learn to process it better.
0: So really, your pain with your knee injury in basketball is what enlightened you to all of this. Yes, I had pain in my
1: knee. I saw orthopedists. I saw the New York Yankees team doctor who was at NYU. I saw a bunch of people who could not give me a clear explanation. They gave me the usual exercises, physical therapy. My legs became very strong from the exercises I was told to do, but I still had pain. And it wasn't until Dr. Sarno explained a mechanism by which the mind, the emotions, the brain could cause this pain and also relieve this pain that my pain went away and I resumed running and basketball in an active life. And that was a very major transformation for me that occurred relatively quickly in my early 20s at that point. As I said, sometimes it takes longer for people depending Mm -hmm. on how complex their life is. I was dealing with the stresses of medical school. I was dealing with my social life wasn't very good. I was dealing with had a terrible apartment, that kind of stuff. People deal with sometimes a lot bigger issues than that as life goes on and you have married, you have children, you have other issues. But the point is that there was a way out as a result of an explanation. So it was a new idea planted into my head that made sense to me that led me to change that resulted in me getting better from pain. It sounds almost crazy when you explain it, but I mean, it's it totally it it sounds true.
0: like it could be like, you know, all of this alternative stuff, but I I believe in it and I have to say I've seen you work miracles on my book agent Michael Brusardi. He's a different person today. After you told him about his brain matter and his heart stuff, he's obsessed with it now. He tells me, he calls me with his numbers every day. I'm like, I don't know what they mean, but he has changed every way he, of his lifestyle. He, you know, used to party too much and do this and do that. And he really abused his body as far as he ate poorly. He didn't get enough exercise. He drank too much on occasion. There was, you know, other things happening today. He is a changed man. He will not, he comes to my house he will not eat red meat. He, like, he, I can't even cook for him anymore because I like, I like meat and potatoes and all of that. He has one glass of red wine and I, and I'm like, who are you? But I, he is the one person I thought would never change. And somehow you with, as well as putting up with him, cause we all know he's a little crazy, you've changed him.
1: Well, Michael released this, by the way, to discuss this because there's there's medical privacy issues. I ordinarily wouldn't mention a patient's uh, details uh, without uh, anonymously doing so, so. but he he gave us permission. And so he was ready as a result of some test results I was able to share with him. He was ready to make that transformation, and I explained to him he needed to make it, and he really has bought into it and made the changes and gotten healthier. Um, It's a great example that you've seen uh, in your personal connections. I do the similar kind of thing with people with pain. I don't necessarily change what they eat because that's not as relevant. But I change what they think about their problem, whether it be low back pain, whether it be pelvic pain, whether it be neck pain, sometimes it's throat pain. I change their thinking from the idea that there's something wrong with me that nobody can figure out and it must be terrible because it's bothering me all the time to, yes, there is a problem, but it's something manageable it's a mind-body disorder, it's in your nervous system, and I know how to fix it, and we're going to work together to do that. And I get them empowered to get well. It's not just about the doctor fixing. It's about the doctor opening up the avenue and the patient stepping into it and, and doing what needs to be done.
0: Right. I think the difference with you, I mean, and other doctors out there are not doctors, a lot of alternative medicine, is you're an actual doctor. You have a doctor, you, know, you have a medical degree, you're a doctor. You're not just someone saying, take these herbs, do this, do that. You're working with both the physical pain, like if there is a problem, and then you're delving in psychologically, really. And now, do you, did you have to get training for this or is this just something you learned with your mentor?
1: I've always had an interest in the psychological aspects of things. I, I, I think having suffered from a few of these mind-body conditions myself as a teenager and then with the knee pain during medical school, I think once it was explained to me by my mentor, it, it all became clear to me. And I've always had interest in psychology and took some courses uh, along the way. Um, But, you know, this, both conventional medicine doctors and alternative medicine doctors do a lot of good. But sometimes they get stuck. And sometimes, especially in this chronic pain or unexplained symptom area, they tend to go to what they know. So, for example, a surgeon wanting to help somebody goes to surgery, goes to cut, goes to the knife. It's quite appropriate if the person needs surgery, but it's quite inappropriate if they don't. The alternative medicine doctor goes to what he knows, which is the herbal or the the needle if it's acupuncture or the lifestyle change for other things. Those are very appropriate treatments, but maybe not for this patient. Maybe what this patient needs to learn is that their problem is not a structural or biochemical problem. It's not something that someone else is going to fix from the outside. It's something that actually requires thinking differently differently. An internal transformation, an internal awareness, and what I use is a self-study program where people read a book, they write in a workbook, they listen to CDs, they go online to certain websites and study, they follow up with me. And sometimes we use psychotherapists as well who specialize in this area to help the person understand some of the emotional traumas that are contributing to their pain. And uh, that's the key to getting better.
0: So that's not something you do yourself. You, you do reach out and you have other you know psychotherapists that help you within this.
1: Where appropriate. Not right. everyone needs that. Some, for some people, just the educational material. There's many people who have described over the years what's called a book cure. Having read either one of Dr. Sarno's books or now my books, they'll write and say – I read the book. My pain is gone. It's unbelievable. I'm giving the book out to everybody. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Other people will read the book, get a little bit better, and they say, you know what? I need to see Dr. Schechter to get a confirmation of that diagnosis, maybe even just one visit, just to make sure this, I'm on the right track. Right. They'll come in. I'll examine them. If I find this to be the correct diagnosis after talking to them and, and, and taking a good detailed history and examination, review of the MRIs and stuff, then that's enough for them to go, okay, now I believe it 100%. I'm ready to move forward. And other people need a more detailed supervised program that I can offer between my own follow-up visits and sometimes an excellent group of psychotherapists who I've developed uh, affiliations with in the Los Angeles area, and there are some around the country as well. And the ones in L.A. and some other parts of the country are doing a lot more telephone and Skype. So regardless of where you live, even internationally, we've been finding we can reach out and help people. Obviously, ideally – with a face-to-face office visit with a doctor who's aware of this first right. to make a firm diagnosis to, to help you understand it and believe it. And then the follow-up is often done by uh, telephone or Skype if needed.
0: Now, do you get a lot of naysayers saying, oh, this is, you know, hooey and it's not real? and then, But then you, I mean, obviously it, it has helped so many people. I mean, how can they take that away from anyone?
1: It's helped a lot of people. I've published scientific research showing excellent outcome results but people are skeptical because they want to be skeptical. Right. We don't have the millions of dollars that drug companies have to test a, a little yellow pill versus another l- little yellow pill and show that it has more of an efficacy for blood pressure, that kind of thing. Right. The studies we've done have been on a much smaller scale, and we're not. We don't have that kind of there's funding. There's no
0: way to measure it, really. I mean, there
1: are ways to measure pain and, and the follow-up. You, there's. We have study ideas with. Um, Groups of people, let's say, who just did meditation versus right. groups of people who actually did this program. We have ideas to do this research. It's just that not a lot of it has been done because it's extremely expensive to do high-quality research with large numbers of people, and the funding just isn't there at this point for this type of research. But perhaps, we, we always hope that it will come to that.
0: Right. Well, if you keep writing books that are doing really well, then I think, you know, we have, we're we on to something. I really want, um, I want you to meet my sister. It's just... Two years is too long for such a young woman who's so active and smart and wonderful to – she just she's in pain, and she's seen everyone, like I said. And I I, I don't know if tricking her to come down here
1: <laughs> well, I, I think she, help. She, she has to she, be she open to it. She has to be open to it. I would love to meet her. I would love for her to come down to the office and be able to talk to her about her problems. She has to be open to it. And then if I'm able to help her, we have a follow-up a podcast. Yeah, right? It, Absolutely. If she's open to that. Or maybe not because it's all confidential what occurs no, in the No, she's,
0: she's fairly open. I mean, the, my family knows with me <laughs> all their business is going to be out there because I just kind of talk about it all the time. But she, um, she reached out to me the other day, and I put her in touch with a physical therapist that I just n- went through the similar thing and for a year and a half couldn't sit down, could only stand up, and just... It, it ended up being this whole process of – she had three surgeries that she really didn't need and then all these – I just put them together to talk, kind of to have someone to co- commiserate with because I don't know what to do or say anymore. And I'm just – I'm kind of at my wit's end and I feel like she would never take an antidepressant or anything like that. That's just not – she's very – she's like, I'm fine. But I can just tell you know, this is just weighing on her and, and me.
1: The hardest people to help are your closest – family, friends, relatives, et cetera. I mean, that's just a hard group to impact upon. I know that from personal experience as well. Um, I think you can just gently share with them books and ideas and hope that one day they pick it up and read it. I've heard over and over again in my practice people who say that a friend or a loved one gave them one of uh, my materials or one of Dr. Sarno's books over the years, and they looked at it, and it didn't seem that relevant. They put it on a bookshelf. They forgot about it. And then six months or a year later, they picked it up and it totally made sense to them. They totally saw themselves in the book, and they have to get an appointment. They call my secretary, and they have to get an appointment that week because they know that this can help them, and so I find that fascinating that someone, the same person, could look at something six months or a year before, and it would have no relevance to them. They have no interest in it. This is not for me, and then they pick it up again off the bookshelf, and now it makes sense. You have to be in that place where you're either ready, open, maybe desperate, right? maybe willing to try something different to look at these kind of material and look at it in an open way and understand it.
0: Right. I was When I was at Michael's apartment, I had seen this book before and I was just like, you know, I'm fine, whatever. And then this whole thing with my sister. So I picked it up, I started skimming through it and just noticing the change in his lifestyle and what he's doing. I'm like, you know what? I need to figure this out. I need to get this guy together with my sister or send her the book. Just... I so desperately want to fix this situation, um, and I, and I feel like just you know I go to a lot. I don't have hypochondria, but if there's something wrong, I'm the first one at the doctor because my dad has a lot of heart issues, which I ha- he's passed on to me. I have you know, mitral valve prolapse, I have a leaky uh, valve, I have all these things, so I have to stay on top of it. So you know, with me, any little thing with the doctor, but I just feel like. I couldn't imagine being in this kind of pain, and, and and not being able to have help with it. You know, I think you're doing an amazing thing here.
1: Pain is one of the most difficult conditions to struggle with because it affects everything you do. Uh, you can't walk. You can't uh, often work. You, can, and it's you can't enjoy right? life. I
0: mean, I mean, you're. I'm telling you, I'm in the worst pain ever. But that's for me. I mean, my worst pain ever might be, you know, oh, a scratch on your shoulder. Like it's. I think it's all. Everyone is different in that aspect.
1: So it's harder for the outside world to appreciate the reality of your pain than it would be if your arm was red or your arm was in right. a cast or something like that. They want to see. They
0: want to see if yeah. you're up and walking around and going to work every day. And but you're miserable because you're in pain. I feel, and I'm. I'm guilty of this myself. I there's some people I don't believe. I'm like, oh my god, somebody needs attention. You know, it's like, oh, God, yes, we know your records. We get it, you know. And now just going through this with my sister, I now I really listen to people. And I'm like, well, maybe they do need attention, but maybe it's because they really are in a lot of pain and everyone's doubting them.
1: Could be. One or the other, but um, you know, sometimes people are suffering internally, but the only way they know to express it is with a physical symptom like pain. Maybe they didn't grow up in a family where it was okay to express negative feelings or sadness or other things. And so that becomes part of the work that I would have to do with them or sometimes the work that a therapist would do with them, which is to help them to understand some of the feelings they have that are being expressed in a different way. And when they start expressing the feelings more directly or understanding them more directly or writing about them, then typically the physical symptoms will improve.
0: Wow. I mean, that's very interesting. It's kind of like that movie, The Promise, in a way. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, not obviously, it's completely, it's different, kind of like. But I think if you put your, your, our mind is such a powerful thing. And I don't think that a lot of us use it to its full, you know, potential. And there, I think it could open so many more doors if we were open Two things like this, but uh, like with my parents, they would say, ah, this is a bunch of hooey, you know, because they're old fashioned. They were raised a certain way. You go to the doctor, you get a pill, you take your pill and you're better. Um, and I, and I think this kind of borders on both. It, it's, it works with your mind and your body. And it's not just one or the other, like you said, with acupuncture or, the, or holistic medicine, it's not just that it's kind of a combination of everything.
1: I'd love to see this get in the educational system. You know, we're taught all these things in hygiene in junior high school and this sort of thing, and yet we're not taught much about the mind-body connection. Wouldn't that be great if that could be part of the educational system, teaching people at a younger age that how they feel affects emotionally, how it affects their body, and we could perhaps intercept some of these chronic pain and other chronic illness conditions that are due to suppressed or uh, people not being aware of their stress.
0: Yeah, I think right now, just with our educational system, they're not focused on that at all. I mean, we're lucky to even have you know my son go, my, both my children go to public school, but we're lucky they have PE once a week. I mean, I think physical education is such a huge part of how I grew up, and now with all the electronics, they're always on their computers and their phones. They're not exercising the way we did when we were younger, and I feel like the schools are are making not making this a priority. And you see all these overweight kids and. I just I'm so frustrated that they think that cutting back on physical education and things that you know focus on the body are okay because we need to put you know have some other class about language and arts. I I don't I don't know that I agree with that and it's very frustrating. But you know our school systems are not the best unfortunately, and it's you know I, I I want to instill in my kids what my parents instilled in us. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, I'm like get off your phone, no more computer, go outside and play. It's like, it's a very strong statement because they don't do it anymore. I have to take things away and, but we were in, um, the ER several, like, no, six times over the summer. My mm-hmm. son went into anaphylactic shock for no reason. He had never been allergic to anything. He was 11, um, just out of the blue, like crazy 911 and my whole face swelled up, everything. Um they said that he ultimately has a, a heart condition called angioedema, but you know they said it's hereditary. No one in our family tree has it. And then they went back and checked his blood levels, and they're saying, I think it's C C four. Something's very low, and it shouldn't be low. And his cholesterol is very high. My son's like a tall, skinny. You know, looks are deceiving because you would never think that this kid has high cholesterol and low level. Like a higher level of developing lupus, I guess, an autoimmune mm-hmm. disorder. And I'm just thinking, I don't want any of this to be my fault. I want to make sure they're out getting the exercise and all of this. But I then started reading up on all of these things. And I, it's so important that everyone understands mind, body, and soul. We have to figure this out.
1: Well, getting your children involved with exercise and outdoor activities, um, incredibly important. Interacting with people, not just screens, incredibly important. But also that emotional psychological element. Um, you know, kids go through difficult uh, issues with their parents right. and uh, their, their, their uh, classmates and that kind of stuff. Growing and up, yeah. It's learning, learning how to integrate that. We could do a better job in our society of doing that. And I believe there'd be f- less of this chronic pain e- epidemic and chronic stress epidemic if we did a better job at this at, at multiple levels.
0: Well, I agree with you. Maybe we should, we should start picketing. <laughs> we need more education. No, 90% that's the percent of your life that you are wearing underwear. Well, most of us anyway, hopefully. And underwear gets old really fast. You know the feeling of putting on that old stretch out pair of underwear, knowing you're going to wear it all day long. You need to know the feeling of great fitting underwear that is two times softer than cotton. You need to know about meundies.com. Me Undies has the most comfortable underwear you will ever try on, and it's insane how good they make you feel. They fit perfectly, they don't ride up, and they literally pull moisture away from your body and your skin so that you can stay cool, especially for those people going through menopause and menopause. Keeps you real dry. But they also make sure you look great. So go to MeUndies.com and check out the photography. And for the girls, check out those smoking Hot Boy shirts. Those are my favorite, actually. But you have to try them on for yourself. This quality would typically retail for twice the price of MeUndies, but no retail middleman means more savings for you. Here, we'll make it easy. Go to MeUndies.com slash podcast and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. I mean, who can beat that? Save even more when you buy a pack of them. Woohoo! Me Undies guarantees that you're going to be happy with them or your first pair is absolutely free. Once you've filled Me on your body, you'll never go back. Yeah. <laughs> I can make a joke there, but I won't. But to get your 20% off, you have to go to meundies.com slash podcasts. That's M E Undies, U N D I E S dot com slash podcast. All right, we are back with Dr. David Schechter. And so tell us, now in your book, you write about the seven lessons of pain. Tell us what those lessons are.
1: All right, what I've learned over the years from working with a lot of people with chronic pain is that pain is more complicated than you think it is. Uh, for example, pain does not always mean disease or damage. You think of pain like when you touch a hot stove, you say, oh, your hand jumps back to avoid being damaged. But when you're dealing with chronic pain, the pain may be a different type of message, not a message of disease, not a message of damage, but maybe just a signal that you need to change your job, maybe a signal that you're a little more unhappy at home than you thought you were, or a signal that you're not coping with stress well. So the signals and the meanings of pain are different than just disease or damage. Another one is the severity of the pain doesn't always connect with the severity of the condition or the potential for damage. I'll give you an example of that. Um, a man could have an excruciating pain in the side of his, um, abdomen toward his back and the diagnosis could be a kidney stone. Extremely painful. Once yeah. the stone passes, which hopefully occurs quickly, the pain goes away within five or 10 minutes and the man feels fine, is ready to play golf the next day. Oh. But that was severe pain doesn't mean damage. On the other hand, a man, let's say in his fifties or sixties might have a, a relatively mild pain shooting up toward his neck or pain going down his, his left arm, that could be a subtle sign of a heart attack. And so it's a mild pain, but it has a different meaning. Right. So the severity of your pain, I know some of you might have very severe pain if you're dealing with chronic pain or might know someone with that, doesn't always connect to the potential for damage in the body. Another one is that the interpretation of the pain by the patient and what is perceived as its significance is crucial. If you believe that your pain is due to something that just can't be fixed, the doctors don't know what's wrong, and there's no hope for a cure, then the pain is more severe. Right. And you amp it up inside, you amplify you it a so to speak. Feeling. You're hopeless. You're hopeless and helpless. Exactly. If on the other hand the message is different, which is, oh yes, I understand the cause, I understand that pain. It's right. real. But it has an, an there's an explanation for it there's a treatment for it, and ultimately it's benign, which means not serious, then that totally changes the pain level when you in- when you in- internalize that message.
0: Because down the road, you know, there's hope and help, and, and you're going to get better. I think people, all, they all want to feel like there's an answer. And even if this pain is horrible, that I, you know what's wrong with me, and I will get better.
1: And I have found that a surprisingly large number of chronic pain patients who've seen some of the top doctors in the city of LA and sometimes in other cities because I do see people from out of town in my office actually have this condition TMS we call it mind-body disorder the mind-body syndrome it has different names but you'd you'd think that other doctors would diagnose it but it's just not their area of interest or they haven't been exposed to it during their training or they're not mind-body or psychologically oriented and for some reason, many physicians just have a block, and they're not interested right, they in this area. They shut it area. down if they like.
0: Sh- listen, you're not they been, do their they little issue, and it's in your head. Bye.
1: They do their very narrow thing well, but they don't necessarily expand the scope. So I, instead of just lasering in on somebody, sometimes you have to kind of pull back and expand the field of vision, so to speak, using a camera photography term, to see the bigger picture of what's going on with a person, and that changes your ability to diagnose them.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's just so interesting because the, it is so true when I, I broke my leg and my ankle at the same time and I went to a doctor and I was in crazy, crazy pain, but he wanted to do surgery and my dad had foot surgery. I didn't want to have surgery. I said, you know what? I just don't want to have surgery. I did, and like his first thing was like, going to cut, we're going to do this. You're going to have pins. And I was like, I don't want it. I had two casts, almost three. I mean, well, yeah, almost three. Uh, I broke, I took the last one off cause I just had to get it off. Um, but I never had surgery and I'm fine. I mean, it took a while. My ankle still gives me my leg and ankle. Like if I wear high heels, it gives me a little trouble, but I don't have pins in my legs and I was just patient. And you know, for seven months it was, it was a long healing process as I was on crutches, but, and it probably cost me more than having surgery, but it's true. The doctors, they see you and let's cut it. Let's do it. Let's fix it. Like That's their first go-to.
1: Well, you spoke up. It's important to speak up and ask if there are alternatives. Even if your doctor doesn't know about this condition we're talking about today, TMS, that I describe in my book, Think Away Your Pain, it's still worth asking, well, doctor, would there be any problem with me trying a conservative program that doesn't involve any pills or shots, kind of using my mind a little bit to see if I can help my pain? And they might go, Oh, that'd be fine. It may not help, but it's not going to hurt you. So you want to know if there's alternatives. You want to ask and question your doctor politely, but uh, seriously. Take it seriously. It's your health. Ultimately, it's your body. And so there may be alternatives out there. And what patients are finding more and more information, both good and bad, on the Internet.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, what what is your take on that? I feel like when I Google something, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. It's like the worst. And that's what sticks in my head. Some
1: people who have a personality of kind of being a warrior or a little bit too hard on themselves, et cetera, the internet can be the worst place to go for health information because it can drive you bananas. Seriously. Um on the other hand, for people who are a little bit calmer but are also desperate about just finding out new information, um, you know, you can find stuff out there and you have to to pick and choose is this a reliable source or not, it can be hard to decide.
0: Right. I mean there's so I mean there's so much stuff on the internet and and generally I, well, my, it depends on the person. Like you said, I go to the extreme. I see the bottom I'm like, oh, I'm dead. I'm, I have seven days to live. I never at this point, I used to, I, I I don't Google anymore at
1: all. Well, that just shows you how that's a power of the mind-body connection. You you got an idea in your head that something was wrong and you, you feel worse and you feel more anxious. You feel more stressed and maybe your body hurts in some part. We get that in medical school. It's called the medical student's disease. You study a disease and suddenly you feel like, oh, maybe I've got that. I'm feeling a little lumpier or something swollen. It's like paranoia, self-destroyer. Yeah. So you're starting to think about something can almost give you the symptoms of that condition.
0: I, uh, I know. you are right there. I do that to myself all the time. You know, I I have um I have, you know, adult acne and I pick and I do crazy things to myself and I do it when I have too much time on my hands, and then the second I get busy and focus on something else, my skin heals. Otherwise, like I will have a hole of my face for three months, and I obsess on it. All I want to do is get home, get to my oxygen machine, and sit there with my little light and oxygen, and that's all I think about. And the second I have something else to focus on, it goes away. So, I mean, I know, I know this, and I know when I do it to myself, and I'm not even allowed to have a magnifying mirror or anything, but I do, I throw it away. My therapist is like, throw it away. I go and I buy a new one. It's a waste of money, but it's something that I do. But I know that it. a lot of it is psychological. A lot of it is if I can just put my energy into something that isn't focusing on my what these sores are, they might feel faster.
1: So you know the distraction works for you. And so you just have to be a little more conscious to use distraction more commonly. You start feeling that desire to pick at something, and you have to say, okay, I'm thinking of something else, and just shift your attention. You'll get better at it with practice. The same thing is true of chronic pain. You get better at focusing away from the pain and toward the other things in your life that need to be dealt with by doing it with practice. So it takes practice to do it.
0: It's it, hard. It's not easy. I mean, because the second you have too much time, you go back. Well, not it's everyone. Not, it's but, not
1: easy, but you, know, you can learn, Bandy. i I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll help I'm you trying. with that.
0: It's definitely um, it, it's a learning process, and I know... My friends all laugh because I'll say it. we're going to dinner, and I'll send out a mass text disclaimer. Okay, my skin's really bad, and they're like, "Oh my god!" For 17 years, we're getting these texts, and I'm like, "Well, it's just that's my thing," and Michael knows it, and I think he feels he's the only one that I let come over and like don't try to cover it up or anything. And I told him if I. Pick again. I'm gonna give him a hundred dollars every time I pick, so I, th- I owe him a little money right now. But uh, that,
1: that's using a little psychology there. Um, I need,
0: I need, uh, I need there to be a repercussion.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: and then also, I feel like I need to stay busy. And if I'm not busy, I have to find a hobby. I have to put my energy. That's why I'm doing a lot more charity work. It's helping me focus on like not my skin. on These little, you know, make a wish. These children that are dying, and you know, it's there's so many bigger problems out there and I just I'm learning that if I can focus my energy elsewhere it helps me to heal
1: a lot of people need to learn to get out of their head where they can do trouble, yes. they can do damage, and get into other things. And, and charitable work is a great opportunity in that regard because you see other people who are worse off than you, you are, and, and you, you become like a, an you become A-hole appreciative
0: for like worrying about yourself. You're um, like, oh, that that's it. Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> you become you know you become more appreciative of what you've got and less worrying about sort of the little things. So shifting attention and distraction and keeping busy very important aspects of this.
0: All right. So tell us like what what can you tell our listeners to take as a home message? What and exercises? What can they do?
1: If you, I think this applies to you whether you're just dealing with regular everyday stresses or whether you're dealing with a chronic pain condition or other chronic symptoms that haven't been easily explained by your doctors. And that would be sit down every day, find a quiet time. Maybe it's the morning. Maybe it's the end of the day if your kids go to sleep. Maybe it's the middle of the day if you have a lunch break and nobody's around. Grab a notebook, grab a piece of paper, and just sit and write your feelings. Write about your feelings. Write anything that comes to your mind stream of consciousness for 10 or 15 minutes. It's an extremely effective tool to both release tension and stress and also to realize kind of what's going on in there. Right. And sometimes we don't realize exactly what's going on in there and what might be our true driving forces or things that are holding us back. And this writing process, we call it journaling, uh, expressive writing. Some people call it negative writing if you decide to tear it up afterwards. But this is a very effective thing that everybody can do. And I'd recommend Everyone in the audience, try it, maybe do it three times this week, and then see how you feel. There's scientific research that shows that it helps people with a variety of conditions from asthma to rheumatoid arthritis, physical changes in measurable parameters. You asked me about pain being a little harder to measure than, let's say, asthma or arthritis. There's certain blood tests and breathing tests that could be done. But there were improvements in people who wrote about their feelings rather than just writing about, here's what I did today, or here's my shopping list. And so that you know, that's scientifically been proven That expressive writing is helpful I'd recommend people try it
0: well, you know, I, I'm going to do it I, I do it quite a lot I find sometimes when I write about things that upset me I get more upset But that was just recently when I was writing Because it's a long story <laughs> We're gonna, not going to talk about it But thank you so much for being here today I really appreciate it I'm sorry I was late I've never been late So it was my first time So you popped my late cherry No, I'm kidding <laughs> That's horrible Um, thank you for fixing my book agent. You really did. You changed his life. And I have to say, if anyone doesn't believe that someone can change, and I was very worried about Michael, he, it really can help. And he is a new person today. And I really would love to see if I can get my sister down here. I'm going to send her your book. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to take it slow because like me, she's a little fiery. Um, and hopefully we can fix her.
1: It was great being on the show.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much. And you'll have to come back after we fix my sister. Absolutely. We can go, we can have a really good in-depth conversation with people that know what they're talking about and not myself. (laughs) 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 All right. We'll be right back. Thank you so much, Dr. Schechter. Hey listeners, it's Brandy. I just wanted to take a minute and thank all of you and my great sponsors. Thanks for listening and supporting my sponsors and this podcast. All of your contributions have helped made this show possible, and I wanted to remind you that you can still support our sponsors by going to my homepage at podcastone.com, clicking on the Support This Podcast banner, and there you will see all of my wonderful sponsors that help keep this podcast free to you. In addition to my sponsors, you can also support the podcast by using my Amazon banner, Amazon offers this show a small commission on any product you purchase through Amazon. You can even use my Amazon banner if you're located in Canada. Hi guys. a hey, or the UK, you know what I mean? Also to make it easier for all future purchases, feel free to bookmark my Amazon URL. Thank you again for all your support. And now back to my show. Well, thank you very much for listening to Brandy Glambo Unfiltered today. And thank you to Dr. David Schechter. Please get his book, Think Away Your Pain. I think it's better than popping pills. Um, ah, don't forget to get my wine. It's now available for pre-order at unfilteredblonde.com. Plugging all things Brandy. Don't forget, I'm walking for wishes on Saturday, April 18th. It's your last three days to donate for this wonderful cause. These children need a couple wishes. Let's do it, people. You can get my app at the Android store. It's called Blender Blocks. And don't forget to get my books, Drinking and Tweeting and Drinking and Dating.
1: Thanks for listening to Brandy Glanville Unfiltered. Download new episodes at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this. AP Update, I'm Ross Simpson. The President and the leaders of Southeast Asian nations called today for a peaceful resolution of the region's maritime disputes as they concluded a summit in Southern California. President Obama told a news conference that disputes must be resolved by legal means, including a case brought by the Philippines that challenges China's sweeping claims over most of the South China Sea. The United States and ASEAN are reaffirming our strong commitment to a regional order where international rules and norms and the rights of all nations, large and small, are upheld. During a question and answer period with reporters, Obama reaffirmed his constitutional right to nominate a successor to the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. There is more than enough time for the Senate to consider in a thoughtful way the record of a nominee that I present, uh, and to make a decision. I'm Ross Simpson.